welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Hope you guys enjoyed our show earlier this week with Danny Kelly, our new second episode of the week. I guess our first episode of two now each week, breaking down the Monday night football game, which of course we have plenty to discuss with Jaguars and Bengals, and then breaking down some of the Monday news. This show going to be, as usual, on Thursday mornings, breaking down sort of the bigger picture stuff, thinking about the league as a whole. And today I am joined to do that talking about one of my favorite topics every year with one of my favorite guests. We are talking about the people who have the most to gain or lose over the remainder of the 2023 season. And joining me to talk about that is my old pal, Robert Mays of The Athletic. Mays, I feel like we've done this show probably 10 times in different places over the years. I think it's probably more than 10 times because we do it before we do it before the season and now we're doing it in the middle of the season. So it's probably up to 15 or 20 times at this point. Yes, but things have changed. Like some of the they players have. some of the players, people on this list, dramatically different circumstances <laughs> than they had before the season. So, excited to do this with you as always and I feel like when I have this list, like we didn't have a number in our head or at least in my head before I started. But I always feel like I have to get two or three extra because there's going to be some crossover. So I have, I believe, eight. I think you have, you said you had 10. We're not going to get to that many, but let's see how many we get to. And let's see, too, how many of them we have together because there seems like there's maybe a few obvious ones. And then after that, maybe some uh, that are a little more obscure. But of course... You are the guest today, Mays. Let me let you go first. A player or coach or someone around the NFL with the most to gain or lose over the remainder of the 2023 season. Why don't we do a player and a coach Ooh, okay. in the same place and a place that I'm very familiar with? This is the first place my brain went because mm. obviously I have Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus. Yeah, that, I mean, on my list yes. as well. Fields seems like it seems like you have to go with that one. Uh, how are you feeling? About Justin Fields and Matty Berflus after a victory the last time we saw the Bears. I think we've probably seen the last full season of Justin Fields in Chicago. Mm -hmm. If the Bears are going to get the number one pick, it really does feel like they're going to draft a quarterback. So this, a couple weeks ago, if we had had this discussion, I think there would have been more focus on what Justin Fields could do to play himself into keeping that job. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably gone. I think we're probably going to see a different player there under center for the Bears next year. To me, the bigger question for Justin Fields is, where is he going to play next year? Mm -hmm. is, is he going to play well enough down the stretch to potentially make himself an attractive candidate for a team that's seeking out a quarterback? So he's playing, in my opinion, for his future mm -hmm. and for his standing on the next roster that he joins. For Matt Eberflus, I think he's coaching for his job yes. over the next couple months. I mean, absolutely. I, I think you'd separate these two guys here. With Fields, I guess let me frame it this way. Do you think there's anything he could do over the next five weeks or the next next five games to finish this season that even if the Bears do get a top two pick from Carolina, they would say, we're good. We're sticking with Justin. We're going to you know, either draft Marvin Harrison or trade this pick for a, a ton of draft capital. Is there anything that he can do or do you think that ship has 100% sales? I think it's going to be really difficult. If they were picking in the middle of the top 10, like they, mm -hmm. let's say they had the sixth pick in this draft and they had two picks in the top 10, 
then maybe it's more of a conversation because you have to do some maneuvering to turn the page. Mm -hmm. I said this before the season started. There is a chance that if I end up with one of these top picks, the decision is made for them. And that's still how I feel. Because even if he has a great last five games, you still have to look at the entire body of work and you have to consider how this puts you on the right financial clock. Mm -hmm. Being able to start over and having it handed to you with a prospect of the caliber that Caleb Williams and Drake may are, it almost feels like a no-brainer. So to no fault of Justin Fields, I don't think he can really do anything over the next month or so that's going to shake the Bears' willingness to use one of those top two picks on a quarterback. They finish finish Lions, Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, and Packers in Week 18. If they get hot, let's say they they already won, they beat the Vikings last week, or two weeks ago in, oh God, just a fever dream of a football game in so many ways. Uh, even if he wins five straight and plays, you know, even if he's not, not if he plays like Jordan Love, let's say, uh, to, to pick a quarterback who's looked quite good over the past few weeks. If he plays like Jordan Love over the next five games, you don't think they even have uh, a second thought about fields? Or do you think, you really think it's just like that is finished at this point? I would be really surprised. I also think that if he plays that way, he potentially pumps up his trade value and no makes question. it more appealing to trade him. So I think that it's almost, it almost cuts both ways. I would be very surprised if Justin Fields was the quarterback of the Bears next year. That's I not based too. on anybody I've talked to about this. I just think just reading the tea leaves and looking at the situation and how it's unfolded, I would be very surprised. But I do think he is playing for a starting job in 2024 over the next five right. years. And, and, and certainly the nature of that starting job, how desirable he is, what the trade return would look like, whether a team picks up his fifth-year option, which is a legitimate yep. question at this point. And... One of the reasons why it makes sense from the Bears' perspective to go out and draft a quarterback, self, not, selfishly is the wrong way to put it, but just being realistic is that it sort of resets the clock for the people in charge, especially for Ryan Poles, who did not draft Justin Fields, who inherited Justin Fields. But I don't know that it resets the clock for Matt Eberflus. Maybe it would for a typical coach, but there have been so many weird things that have popped up with Eberflus this year, you have multiple coaches on his staff being fired or, or leaving the organization for behavioral concerns. Uh, Eberflus's game management has left a lot to be desired. The defense, I mean, it's better. Certainly, it's been better the past you know two months than it was earlier in the season. It's certainly not a finished product. I mean, this was a guy who was brought in not because he was a great offensive mind, but because he was supposed to be someone who could build a strong culture. We don't really know that that's there yet. Maybe it'll form over the next five weeks. But but from your perspective, Maze, what what would it take for Matt Eberflus to keep his job heading into 2024? Them not drafting a quarterback this offseason. So you think if it's a quarterback, they just they hire an offensive mind and Eberflus is done? Yeah, that that I don't know if that's their thinking on it, but that's my thinking on it, Mm -hmm. because I've seen this too many times in Chicago specifically over the last five years. In 2017, John Fox is the head coach. Ryan Pace is the general manager. They draft Mitchell Trubisky without mm-hmm. telling the coaching staff that they <laughs> were doing that and then fire the coaching staff after that first season. So mm-hmm. now you have two different staffs in a young quarterback's first two seasons. Go back a couple of years. The year they draft Justin Fields, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are clearly lame duck coaches playing, coaching, fighting for their jobs. Mm-hmm. They get fired at the end of the season after Justin Fields' first year. Now he's saddled with a different coaching staff in his second year. That misalignment has not worked, and it's a terrible way to approach the two most important decisions you can make as an NFL organization, the head coach and the quarterback. You need those guys, or at least want those guys, when it's available to you, 
to put them on the same page, to put them on the same timeline. And that's why with the Eberflus stuff, I don't think he's done a horrendous job. Mm-hmm. I think there's clear signs of growth, mm-hmm. especially on defense. They're getting better, and that's what you want to see out of a second-year coach. If this was a circumstance where, oh, Fields will be back and you can talk yourself into the trajectory, that's totally fine. But it makes so much sense for you just to move on and have a clean break mm-hmm. when you know you're starting over a quarterback. So I just think even if there are signs of life in what they've done over the last month or so, especially on defense and just overall, it makes the most sense to move on and just start over clean with whatever the next version of the roster looks like. Okay. So impossible question to answer. Still going to ask you anyway, because it's you. Uh, Where is Justin Fields playing in 2024? If the Bears do get one of those top two picks and draft a quarterback, obviously, like we said, it depends on where he, how he plays over the next two weeks and what that trade value looks like. But where do you think Justin Fields is playing in 2024? And, you may have some bias here as a, a longtime Bears fan. Being realistic, who is the head coach for Drake May or Caleb Williams in Chicago in 2024? Well, the answer to the second question is the same answer that everyone is going to give over the next two months, and it's Ben Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think Ben Johnson would leave the Lions to go coach a division rival, though? And and and, and if you're Ben Johnson, is that is this the job you want? Like, like, is this the most desirable opportunity you're going to get if it's one of these two young quarterbacks? Like, would you it's rather, would you rather say we're going to talk about someone else in this list? Maybe go to the Chargers and coach Justin Herbert. So that's going to be probably the most appealing job that comes open because of the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. And if he has his pick of those gigs, it's probably not the Bears, but he's still the number one priority. If I could pick one guy, he would still be it, just because mm-hmm. I think you have to maximize that position. I think you have to maximize your offense. Sure, we've seen this over the last five, six, seven years. I know that there are examples of defensive coaches working out. Look at what's happening with D'Amico Ryans right now in Houston. No question. But look at what's happening with so many other situations around the league. When you have that head coach that is the centerpiece of all of this, what it allows you to be offensively, what it allows you to sustain Mm -hmm. in terms of the staff you can lose, quarterbacks Mm -hmm. moving in and out, Look at what Kyle Shanahan is doing. Look at what Sean McVay is doing. Look at what Matt LaFleur is doing. Look at what Mike McDaniel is doing. I want that. Mm -hmm. I want that. I don't think it's unreasonable at this current version of the NFL to be chasing that sort of model. And in my opinion, based on what he has done in Detroit over the last couple of years, Ben Johnson is the most desirable version of that model. Mm -hmm. Whether he thinks the Bears are a desirable landing place is an entirely different conversation. You brought up D'Amico Ryan, who of course is doing great work in Houston this first year. Bobby Slowick. It's not going to be there very long. Bobby Slow is going to be a head he is coach not. maybe as early as this offseason. And I'm not saying, God, this, I have to be very careful with how I frame this, Maze, as you know. I'm not saying CJ Stroud is a Bobby Slow creation. I am not saying that he is a system quarterback. He is not. He is a special talent, but he is also getting help by having a very good offensive coach. No accident that I believe uh, top three in first down percentage uh, as a passer in the NFL this year. I believe it's Brock Purdy, Tua Tango-Vailoa, and C.J. Stroud. And there's no guarantee that the next guy, D'Amico Ryans, to hires as his OC, is going to be as good as the guy he has right now. It's not to criticize Ryans, not to criticize Stroud, but just the reality of there's only so many people who are good at this stuff, and it's hard to keep them unless they have a job that you cannot get promoted from. And There's no doubt. that That's the tough part here. So... On one hand, yes, defensive coaches are probably undervalued because, like the you know, D'Amico Ryan's 
one of the five best defensive coaches in football is going to be better than the 25th best offensive coach who gets hired, but you have to have a good offensive coordinator to make this work. And that's going to be the tough part is for Ryan's is keeping that guy. The arguments that we often hear for defensive minded head coaches, how often are they rooted in the success that Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin have had? Sure. And look at what they've had to endure on offense over the last few years and how much it's held them back. You have to get that side of the ball right. And I just think the quickest path and the easiest path and the most sustainable path to getting that side of the ball right is hiring that figurehead at the center mm-hmm. of the organization. Mm-hmm. Now, Justin Fields. I really don't know. You have to pick. I really don't know because there are so many teams that, that might seem like a, a marriage that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like Atlanta, okay? If Atlanta realizes they've run out of road with Desmond Ritter, I don't think Atlanta would want Justin Fields. Based on conversations that I've had with people over the last year about mm-hmm. their quarterback situation, I would be surprised if that team specifically were to take a run at a Justin Fields. What about Minnesota? We'll see what happens with Kirk Cousins. Does Kirk Cousins come back? If he mm-hmm. does or doesn't, is Justin Fields kind of a low-risk move they can potentially make mm-hmm. to solve their long-term quarterback situation? Is that a move the Bears would make in the division? I don't know. Tampa? You know, T- Tampa is such a black box. I don't really know a lot about their thinking and what they think about this stuff moving forward. I, I truly don't believe that, Pol- that Bowles is going to be there. But I do think that Jason Light will probably keep that job. Mm-hmm. So how do they see Justin Fields? How do they see their roster? So a team like that, a team like Minnesota, a team like Atlanta. But I would honestly be surprised if Atlanta was interested. I mm-hmm. kind of would be surprised if Minnesota would be interested. So I don't know how many seats there actually are for teams that would be very aggressive in trying to make a move to go get him. The team I will throw out there, and this is just speculation. I don't know anything inside. I don't think I know anything inside. But I, th- I have an idea of... Justin Fields possibly being an undervalued asset, and that to me screams Washington Commanders. And yeah, Washington would potentially be it too. Don't, but I also think there's an argument for them keeping Howell. You don't and have you don't have to get rid of Sam Howell. And Fields is not that expensive. I mean, I think I think if you're rebuilding, you have that runway to say, hey, Justin Fields beat out Sam Howell for this job. And you know, I don't think the worst thing in the world is having Sam Howell as a pretty valuable you know, low cost backup with the upside to fill in if, if, if Fields is hurt, if Fields struggles, like that competition is not the worst thing in the world to me. Justin Fields is not earned like number one locked in stone. You will not have anybody competing for your job status based on how he's played so far as a pro. And you don't think Sam Howell has either? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. If you ask Ron Rivera, maybe, but uh, I don't believe that is the case for Sam Howell. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'll move on. Next one up for, I'll, I'll pick one here. I sort of alluded to it earlier. I think Brandon Staley with the Chargers, where maybe maybe this is, it's too far gone like feels. Maybe it's just, this is not going to happen. But do you think Brandon Staley has any chance of coming back next season without a significant run here at the end of 2023 no i don't i don't think they have he has any chance of coming back with a significant really i don't there to me there's very few pathways for them to make the playoffs when you consider how stacked that afc wildcard race is they have to make the playoffs and win a playoff game for him to be back dude there's like six teams in the conference that have a starting quarterback and they're one of them I, i i think he's gone that's why he wasn't on my list because i think there are some coaches that the decision's probably already been mm-hmm. made. And the, the four that I would say outside of the guys who have already been fired are Staley. Mm-hmm. I think Belichick will be gone. Wow. I think Rivera will be gone. And I think Todd Bowles will be gone. Okay. Rivera Rivera's not exactly a shocker. But but Belichick, you feel confident about. And you feel confident about Brandon Staley. Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel more confident about Staley than I do about Belichick. Oh, sure. But again, I would be surprised if either one of them were the head coach of their current team next season. Okay. So let me play devil's advocate here let's say staley they finish up broncos at raiders bills at broncos chiefs chiefs in week 18 who probably will have something to play for but let's say they don't not it's not out of the question stranger things have happened than the chargers winning their next four games and getting to nine and seven before a chiefs game in week 18 nine games probably get you in i don't think you're going to be higher than the seven seed you're probably playing Who's going to be the two in the AFC? It's total chaos. You're probably playing the Ravens or the Dolphins, which, I mean, you can only imagine Ravens Chargers with Brandon Staley's job on the line versus Lamar Jackson's playoff history. You can only imagine how that will go. But if if he if they finish with nine wins, they make it to the postseason, you think that would still end with Brandon Staley uh, missing out and getting replaced by somebody else? I do. I, I think they have That's to win a wrong. playoff game. I think that was game. the charge before the season began, and I don't think the way this has gone has given them any more leeway or any more earned equity in mm-hmm. this entire process. No so I would be very, very surprised. And I, I just don't think that run is possible. I think the Bills are a much better football team than the Chargers, despite the records. Oh, sure. I agree with you. But, again, stranger things have happened than the Chargers winning. First. So the Raiders, you know, win four straight uh, under Rich Passaccia a couple of years ago and make it to the postseason. Like... To me, it's not about are the Chargers the better team because they're not, but can they get hot? Can they beat the Broncos twice? I think they can beat the Broncos twice. I don't think the Broncos, as much as I, um, you know, as much as I was on them before the season, as much as I feel vindicated by their their recent run of success, it's not like the Broncos are a great football team. Like none of these teams. How do are great. you feel vindicated by this, Mister Fumble Luck? You feel good about how they've done this? Listen, how many times have I? Said something was going to happen and then had bad luck, fumble luck, all this nonsense. Have it uh, re- like the best red zone performance in history from the Packers a couple years ago. Not go my way. Let me reap the benefits of variance one time, Robert Mays. Uh, I also have so the Steelers that game. on my list of teams to decline. And trust me, that is a sweat each and every week seeing how they're going to <laughs> contort themselves into uh, winning a game that they don't deserve to win. I'm I was I'm shocked they did not win that Cardinals game. 
I'm like, as that game was going on, I'm like, okay, they got a break for an hour and a half. They're going to come up with some new look that uh, Kyler Murray's not expecting. The GTA 6 trailer is going to release an hour, you know, a few days early. Kyler's going to see it during the break and be distracted for the second half. Like, <laughs> that that team is infuriating to me. But All-time all opposite vibes game. Where the Cardinals are a terrible football team, but have nothing but yes. good vibes coming off of them right now, and the Steelers continue to keep winning, and there's nothing but bad vibes. I guess the one game post Matt Canada yes. gave everybody a little bit of hope that things were going to be different, and then they come out and look like that against Arizona. They look, they look like garbage. Kenny Pickett gets hurt. You're you're in like terrible rain in Pittsburgh. The game gets delayed twice. Like it's just not fun to be a Steelers fan. Uh, good things don't happen to you on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I don't, I'm not saying you're wrong about any of the Staley things you're saying. I, I don't disagree with you. And the big concern here is, like, you can't be a, a, a defensive coach, which we alluded to earlier. If you're going to be a defensive coach, your defense has to be good. That's the one thing you cannot get away with is having a bad defense. Maybe if you're, you know, if the offense is top three, but this is not a top three offense. This is an inconsistent offense. Um, do you think they also consider moving on from tom telesco like do you think this is a wholesale we're changing everything based on what's happened here i think it should be it should be the roster is the roster is not nearly as good as people make it out to be it's not nearly as good Uh, so how many times when we're watching a chargers game or i'm watching tv just offhandedly people will say man this team has a lot of talent this team has some talent Mm -hmm. that for the most part if you look at the underlying build of the roster I think that there's a lot to be desired and I think that there are a lot of missteps that this team has made oh, in their personnel decisions in the draft etc and we kind of gloss over it because they have four or five stars at the top mm-hmm. and that blinds us to what the roster actually looks like they, we should talk more about the Kenny Kenneth Murray situation mm-hmm. them trading up for Kenneth Murray and the way that Kenneth Murray has played finding Justin Herbert just doesn't wash all of that stuff away mm-hmm. finding Justin Herbert and having Justin Herbert doesn't make the JC Jackson signing any less terrible yeah. there have just been so many mistakes that they have made over the last couple of years and I know Khalil Mack has played great this year but he was underwhelming last year mm-hmm. and they gave up a second round pick to go get him I just think that there have been a lot of mistakes in the way they've built that team and the vision that they've had I talk to a lot of teams, a lot of coaches in August every year. It's one of my favorite things to do is just during training camp, sit down with people that are decision makers and trying to shape the organization, just asking, what's your plan for why this is going to be different? What did you do this offseason to take you where you want to go? Mm-hmm. And I don't think any team has been more off from the plan they wanted to follow heading into this season than the Chargers. They wanted to be better running the ball. They wanted to be better defensively. All of those things that were supposed to improve didn't improve. So if there's not progress in these areas where they're spending so much time and focus, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And I think that also extends to the front office. So maybe this is just my love for Justin Herbert and thinking he's a really good player kind of blinding me here. I want to see them in better circumstances moving forward. And I just think new leadership is potentially the way to do that. Yeah. I mean, Kenneth Murray, JC Jackson, and then Quinton Johnston this year, three significant moves. You're, you're two prominent first round picks. They did get Rashawn Slater in between. Who's awesome, but two prominent first round picks. And then your biggest free agent signing all, I mean, we'll see with, with Quinton Johnston, but early returns are not great. The fact that Zay Flowers is playing the way that Zay Flowers is, and he played like that against the Ravens, that or against the Chargers, that feels like a, a an adjacent situation to the AJ Brown game against the 
Titans a couple <laughs> years ago. Well, when you're watching that happen in real time, I don't know how you're the Spanoses and sitting there thinking this is okay. Dude, I, I've never had this experience before with an NFL player, an NFL receiver. I honestly don't want him to get the football because I'm nervous he's going to drop it. Like I, I feel so bad. I feel so bad I, for him. I feel I, genuinely he's bad. Literally, just a mess right now. And like, I just, I, 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 I can't recall that happening before. I've seen other players deal with drops, like, but I never felt that way about Nelson Aguilar. I never felt that way about you know, like a running back who had fumble issues. Like, I, I genuinely, I want him to go through the entire game and never see the football because I'm afraid he's going to mess up. And that is very sad for your first round pick at wide receiver. Yeah, and especially when these guys are having so much success deeper in the draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy drafted right behind him, but even guys like Tank Dell, and I understand we shouldn't play this game. We shouldn't play mm-hmm. the well. Tank Dell was a good third-round pick. That's what makes this worse. When the guys directly after him are get, playing much better than him and are clearly better fits in NFL offenses and Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, that's where I think it's a little bit easier to make that jump. We can play this game if people play the – we have to trade for a wide receiver with our second round pick because there's no good wide receivers in this year's draft. And Tank Dell and Puka Nakua come off the board. I, I'm, I, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up, but you just set me up for it. I'm just saying, like, like we, we, you can't know. Okay, like this guy who has a third round grade, just five foot ten, is going to be a superstar. You can't know Puka Nakua is going to be a superstar. But there's just a lot more uncertainty than we know about, and that sort of brings you back to the Kenneth Murray trade, where they made a deal where they felt extremely confident that this player who would fall into the bottom of the first round at a position we do not prioritize in the modern NFL was going to be a star. And he has not just simply not been a star. He has been straight up unplayable for stretches of his rookie contract. He's been a mess season after season for them. And that's a, you if you, if you trade up for a middle linebacker in the first round and he's an okay starter, that's a whiff, but you can tolerate it. To trade up for a player like that and get a guy who is probably going to sign next year for like a billion bucks somewhere, like it's going to be a reclamation project somewhere, is absolutely brutal. Do you know what pick they gave up to move oh up to pick Kenneth Murray? They gave up a second rounder. Well, they, they traded their, their 37th pick and the 71st pick oh, to move up yes. to 23 in that draft. Do you know who was taken with the 71st pick in the 2020 draft? Oh, gosh. Uh, can you give me a division of the team that made the trade with them? The AFC North. AFC North. Uh, well, there were there were multiple trades, so this is hard to do because they they uh, there's no reason to dig into the. It's Justin Matabike on my list. Yeah, on my list, Justin Matabike. This is like every week I watch the Ravens, and every week I'm like, holy. Who is this dude wrecking stuff up front? And it's always Justin Matabike. He is one of the best defensive players in football this year. He's been awesome. He's and been incredible. He's a really good example where I think that this we're all guilty of this, and this is a tangent, but we're all guilty of this. Player development is so real. Yes. <laughs> Player development is so real. I, this guy who was a lot of promising flashes. I mean, he's sure. been a athletic football show all-star for like two years now. And the talking we've talked a lot about him. Man. Justin Matabike really shows some stuff. I mean, he, he think he has a really good chance to be a good player, but he's really developed into that dude this year. And we've seen that all over the place. Like, Quiddy Pay is playing well mm-hmm. for the Colts. I mean, there's just so many examples this year of guys Bernard, really coming uh, Raymond for the Colts. Bernard like Raymond. I mean, Will, Will Fries has played great for the Colts, and the Colts have a lot of examples of this. And I mm-hmm. think their patience has paid off. But just 
we don't have to make decisions on guys after year one or two. Like, every, everyone calm down. Every, everyone's pumped the brakes a little bit. It takes a while for some of these guys to really come into their own. And I think Justin Matabike is probably the best example of that around the league this year. Yeah, I, I think he is on my list because there's the question of, does he get a franchise tag or does he get like a enormous interior pass rusher deal? Like, does he get basically something close to what Chris Jones gets in free agency? I think that would be a mistake. Really? He's yeah. I, He's got to be, what, four years younger, three years younger than Chris Jones? I would be worried about giving him that three years contract, younger. even if I think Justin Matabike is a very good player, because I think that that scheme in Baltimore is phenomenal. You and know what? I think the pass rush production that they have created mm-hmm. as part of that defense. Sure. Smoke and mirrors isn't the right way to frame it, but if you look at the gap between their pressure rates and their sack rate, sure. typically that would be an indication that a defense is going to come back to earth. Sure. I think for them specifically, it's a little bit easier explained by how pointed and I mean, it's, it's almost like a heat-seeking missile Like when mm-hmm. they decide when they're going to blitz and how to use some of those simulated pressures. Yep. So I think Justin Matabike is a very good player. I, if I were a team in free agency, I would be looking at that with a – a microscope in terms of figuring out where a lot of his production is coming from Mm -hmm. and whether or not as the centerpiece of a team's pass rush, which if you're giving a guy Chris Jones contract, he has to be, if he can ultimately be that for you. So two things, number one, very different kind of player, very different scheme, of course, but I remember the Zedarius Smith deal with the the Packers that I hated because I'm like, well, you know, the the Ravens are so good at dialing up blitzes. He's getting, you know, getting great opportunities to pressure he hasn't had that you know a a consistent four-year career as a great player and then he was great for the packers and i was totally wrong about that deal obviously very different player shootout is the same deal i mean they've had a lot of guys that were pass rushers that have been productive in other places so it's it's something to keep in mind i just think that this team specifically and this defense specifically it would give me pause because of how good of a job i think mike mcdonald is doing but that's the thing there's a decent chance that Mike McDonald might be signing Justin Matubike for his new team because he's the head coach somewhere this upcoming season. I'll be fascinated to see if he goes somewhere or if he doesn't. What? I, 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 if you're going to hire any defensive coach, I feel like that is the easiest oh, hire. Not because I don't think teams will be interested because I don't think he's going to jump at any job that comes open. Well, we talked about some jobs that might come open here. Like, like do you think if the Patriots – call up Mike McDonald and say, hey, you can be, you know, we want to give you six years to rebuild post-Bill Belichick? So this is a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Patriots head coaching job is a good job? Mm, it's it's good, but not for the reasons we typically think of when we think about what a good job is. Because good job typically means quarterback. It means desirable location. Well, they have a quarterback. There, there's a chance they have one of the top two picks in the draft. Sure. Of course. But like it's not they might have the third pick it might be in a messy situation relative to the top two selections um you know i i think what makes that job desirable is you have an owner and you That's have right. a franchise that has been extremely patient with coaches and has made frankly very good choices <laughs> they they've hired two coaches and they're two for two um in terms of their selections so my guess is McDonald would have a good amount of time to work with if he went there, which I think is a positive when you look at, say, not that he's going to go there, but the Panthers, for example. 
I also think what they do with their general manager position and what they do with their front office period yes. is something that's worth watching. No question. Because they have a very specific way that they handle personnel in New England. And I think that method and that process has run out of gas. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest problems that they're facing there. So no them just deciding to promote Lieutenant X to be their general manager and continuing to roll with the model that they currently have in place, I would be a little bit hesitant about that if I were one of these head coaching candidates. No question. And I think that's part of the conversation you have is, do I get to bring a personnel guy with me? Like, does, does that change the situation? Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch. Exactly. Well, not necessarily – doesn't have to be a guy who's on TV. Like, you just have to hire Greg Olson to be his GM. <laughs> but uh, – you know, did they bring somebody from the Ravens? There's a million lieutenants in the Ravens who have been there forever who, I mean, yeah. have been under some pretty good GMs who could, I think, would love the opportunity to be a personnel guy somewhere. Who do you have next? So I, I have a lot of those coaches, and the way that I bucketed it, and that's why I didn't have them specifically as, like, my bullet points. Mm-hmm. Staley, Belichick, Rivera, Bowles, we talked about. I also think that Dennis Allen is probably – going to get fired this offseason i think saints fans want to, want to fire him, yeah so. I, I would be surprised and if they win the division maybe that changes but it's hard to watch that team we talked about this on our sunday show it's hard to watch that team and not come away cold right now i mean they, they just leave me so <laughs> underwhelmed it's unbelievable a group that i think is a little bit muck, murkier in what their futures look like are robert Sala and joe douglas yeah it feels like such a mess there. And in so many other circumstances, those guys would just get fired. Yeah. They would just get fired. This would just be over. We'd have a clean start. Everything that happened this year would be like, oh, man, remember how crazy that was? <laughs> Everything that's happened this week was Zach Wilson, which I'm going to talk about with Diana Rossini a little bit later today. But this is so unique because of everything that's happening with Rodgers. Mm-hmm. So you have that free pass potentially with ownership where you can just say, well, Rodgers was hurt. What were we were supposed to do? So that's part of it. And the other part of it is how much influence does Rogers have in deciding whether they're going to keep these guys? He has a ton of influence. You have to imagine. He, he, so he built this year's roster. So weird. So in every other circumstance, these guys would just be gone. They would start over. Mm-hmm. But everything about the Rogers factor in this leads me to believe that they might not have the most at stake, even if this gets really ugly over the next five weeks because of who's sitting back there pulling the strings. Okay, so what if what if Rogers goes to ownership and says, "Listen, we got to make changes." Robert Sala, good guy, he's got to go. Nathaniel Hackett, head coach of the New York Jets. I, I, I knew you were going to say that. It's kind of like, what do you do if you're Rogers at this point? Though, wouldn't you just see what you can get away with? Of course, Why wouldn't you just see how far you could take all of this? And that would just be the ultimate. I own this team move. <laughs> That would be the ultimate, like, you are going to do what I say. We are hiring Nathaniel Hack. But if he did that, what are they supposed to do? Say no? I don't. I have no idea. I mean, they've already, like, like honestly, if you could make Nathaniel Hackett head coach and he was not running the offense and they just gave offensive control to somebody else, that might be better in the, the, the scheme of things, perhaps. But just a just a strange situation. I don't know, man. Do you do you think Salah's, you know, clear ability to to develop defensive players, which the defense is really good, do you think if if Rogers does not pick up his phone for three weeks and the Jets have to make this decision on his own on, on their own, do you think Salah's ability to coach up the defense um, saves him at all? That would be where it was rooted. 
if he ends up keeping the job, the argument would be and the rationalization would be the defense is so good. As soon as we get Rodgers, let's see what we can be. And I understand coming down on that side of it. I just think it's gotten so ugly and so messy right now that it's hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And I think the tough part is, you know, we publicly criticize Robert Sala for some of the comments he makes about Zach Wilson, especially earlier in the year when he was just blindly defending Zach Wilson. And there's there's more than one factor there. Like, yes, there is an element of, like, don't you see how bad this guy is playing? But also, we don't know how ownership feels. There might very well be a mandate from ownership saying, like, we're sick, like, we're, we're not giving up on Zach because we used a second overall pick on him. Like, we're... We're installing him as the number two. Like, he needs to play, like, as much as we think coaches have ownership over those decisions and over those processes, like, you saw with the Giants. I mean, when, when they benched Eli for Geno Smith a few years ago, like, that decision was was changed very quickly because of the ownership being upset about the reaction to Eli losing that consecutive game streak. And ownership You're might... going back that far? How about this offseason when Daniel Jones got that extension? <laughs> Listen, you don't want to talk about the Chase Claypool thing. I don't want to talk about the Daniel Jones extension. Uh, like, you know, th- I think there's a realistic element of, like, o- ownership saying, hey, like, you know, yes, this this team has been bad. Yes, we made the wrong choices, but we own those choices. It's easy to, to fire Salah and have it be a, we're going to replace him with someone new. But I also think that Salah might be getting credit for having to be you know, the front man for some terrible decisions the Jets made this offseason that might have been a a product of ownership sort of giving Rodgers a blank check to do whatever he wanted. Not making any sort of move at quarterback over the first 12 weeks of the season. Incredible. Incredible. It's it's really bad. It's really bad. And by all accounts, in talking to Diana and in talking to people who've reported about this situation, they didn't make calls on a Jacoby Brissett. They didn't try to make calls on Josh Jobs. They had no urgency to add to that quarterback room at any moment. And that's rough. I don't know who is ultimately responsible for that, but that to me is almost a fireable offense. Dude, did you see- for you to just lose the season with the defense that you have, yes. you know how hard it is to lose in the NFL? You know how hard it is to lose every single week and just be terrible on one side of the ball? You know how demoralizing that is for guys in the locker room? That wears on people. Yes. That wears on Sauce Gardner, on Quincy Williams, on Quinn and Williams, the guys that you've built. So to lose an entire year, even if Josh Dobbs wasn't going to take you to a Super Bowl, no, 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 that's rough, dude. To lose two years to Zach yeah. Wilson with the great defense because yeah. it's been it was the same thing last I year. I understand rolling with him last year, but last year you almost have no. To roll with him I don't understand. Person. You had you had better options than him last year behind him. You don't have those options this year at this point. Joe Flacco doing what he did this Sunday. Dude, Joe Flacco. I mean, he, he did throw a classic Joe Flacco arm punt to break that game open late. But, man, for three quarters, I was like... Is I, that worse than what the Jets have been getting? Uh, no. <laughs> no, that's there, there too was a shot on the. There was a shot on the... It was on my multi-view, so I couldn't rewind it and take a screenshot on YouTube. But there was a shot of all four of the quarterbacks sitting on the bench. Rodgers, Wilson... <laughs> Boyle and Trevor Simeon all looking down at their Microsoft Surface tablets. I'm like, this is one of the saddest images of the NFL season. This is brutal. Uh, yeah. I mean, what Salah? Where are you at on Joe Douglas? <sighs> Come on. I mean, I, 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 I've had people with Joe Douglas avatars telling me how bald I am for six months, and I'm like, you guys, you guys. I recognize that you're not actually Joe Douglas, but like you do see who's in your avatar 
on Twitter, right? Like, not criticizing Joe Douglas. Nothing wrong with being bald. I'm right. Recognize that I am also bald, but like, that's not really an insult if the guy you are fanboying for is also bald. Um, Joe Douglas is like he has positives and negatives. Like he's made some incredible choices, and he's made some absolutely horrific decisions running this football team. And outside of the Rodgers thing, if Rodgers' influence has no bearing here, and you just get to make this decision in a vacuum, would either of them be back? Would I, I? I would bring. I would bring them back, and and the only reason why is that they have one more year. Like 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 next year is the the natural break. Like you brought up the field thing. Like like to me, this is the natural break of okay. We are all in with this roster to win with Rogers next year. Like we have paid attention to our strengths and weaknesses better than anybody else like yes changes have to be made yes they have to be smarter about how they approach things but like they at least are already there and i think if you bring in a new coach a new gm you're starting over in what's basically an all-in year for your organization that doesn't make sense to me i don't think that aligns with where you are in terms of your roster and yeah i agree with you if you have a great candidate maybe like if you can get I'm trying to think of who a good candidate would be. Like, if you could hire Bill Belichick to be your your uh, head coach, and he's just going to take care of the defense, and Aaron Rodgers is going to run the offense, maybe that works. I don't know, but um, I, I I would give Robert Sala one more year. I'd give Joe Douglas one more year, and I think unless the Jets are a Super Bowl team the following year, then I think it's natural to move on from Rodgers, and then probably to move on from Sala and Douglas as well. Yeah, I always felt that was the most natural way to do this, is just to say, hey, listen, this is a, a mulligan year. It's unfortunate what happened. We should get one shot at this with the team that we constructed, even if it has gotten ugly, and even if I think you're talking yourself into something with that. That always felt like the most reasonable, likely outcome, and I do think that's still probably what's going to happen. Do you think they approach next offseason any differently, though? I think they have to. I mean, I think you have to be more urgent about adding playmakers. I think you have to be more urgent about not letting Rodgers shape every decision that you're going to make because it's gotten them in a lot of trouble. So you don't think they're trading for Devontae Adams this offseason? That's fine. That That's a reasonable way for Rodgers to shape it. I think that sort of urgency aligns with what we're talking about, making sure you can get everything you can out of next year. I think it puts you in a precarious spot in 2025 and moving forward a little bit if you don't hit on the plan that you have in 2024, but I wouldn't be surprised or disappointed at all if they ended up making that move because at this point you're committed. You might as well see this thing through. Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, maybe Corey Linsley, and Corey, Corey Linsley is still under contract. Who else? Who else? The pack or the the Jets bringing in to supplement Aaron Rodgers next year? I mean, might as well just bring Josh Sitton in to, to bolster the interior <laughs> offensive line depth. Might as well just keep going. TJ Lang's available. He's busy tweeting. I don't know if TJ Lang is actually available. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got a couple more. Give me another person or another uh, maybe a group of people from your list. I have Kyler Murray. Yeah, me too. I think that Kyler Murray and what he looks like over the next five weeks and what his future is going to be in Arizona is one of the more intriguing stories about the league to mm-hmm. me. 
because I think it shapes what could happen in the top three of the draft and it shapes the future of that organization and potentially another that might have been trading for Kyla Murray if Arizona was going to move on from mm-hmm. him. Absolutely. So I'm fascinated about how that's ultimately going to play out. Obviously, he's already been paid, so there's only so much at stake, but mm-hmm. his role his job, where that's going to be. I absolutely think all of that is on the line here over the next five weeks. And, and what's so fascinating about this one is it kind of feels like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if, if Kyler Murray plays well, the Cardinals, they're not going to win every single week, but they're going to be competitive. They're going to win a couple more games than we expect. And they're going to play their way out of one of the top two seeds in the, the strap, which they have already since Kyler Murray's come back. But if Kyler struggles and his numbers I mean, I think he's been better than his numbers, but his numbers are not great. He's completing under 61% of his passes, averaging 6.6 yards per attempt. Like, he's been basically Joshua Dobbs since returning, and he makes a lot more money than Joshua Dobbs. If he struggles and the Cardinals do end up with one of the first two picks, like, that's the most likely scenario. So, um, you know, it kind of feels like, unlike some of these other situations, like with Justin Fields, for example, where it kind of feels like, okay, it's out of his hands at this point, it does feel directly dependent on what Kyler Murray does over the next five games. Agreed. And I think that what happens behind the scenes is as important or close to as important as what happens on the field. And I think what has gone on in that building and what they've gotten out of him and what those relationships have looked like, even dating back to this offseason, have been promising enough to give him a real shot to hang on to this thing moving forward. Mm -hmm. So as they continue to struggle, as things continue to be a little bit frustrating, does that dynamic stay the same as it has so far? I think that's also something that's worth thinking about, even if we're not going to know the answer. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any scenario where they get one of the first two picks and they trade it? and just build around Kyler and four, three, four first-round picks that they get from that trade? I, I do think that. Really? I think if he plays well enough, and if they feel good enough, about, they're good enough about him moving forward, I actually do think that is a possibility. I really do. I, I, I think they could come to the end of the season and say, are we going to get a better quarterback than Kyler Murray out of this process? But it's not we that. We know what he is. We, I, I know I know it's not that as the way that we look at it. Sure. But I think they might look at it okay. that way. Where Are we going to get a better player than this out of this process? And if we just decide to build around him, is that our best path moving forward? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if that's where they landed. But I think that they're going to turn over every stone in thinking about it. Sure. I'm, I've been impressed so far with the process-oriented approach that Monty Austin Ford has taken. I I think that they've done a really intentional, thoughtful job about, all right, what what kind of organization are we going to be? How are we going to build our football team? What sorts of guys are we looking for? Why are we looking for those sorts of guys? And I think that that is going to extend to this. And I can understand that mindset and that scope taking them to a place where they say, Kyler Murray plus a bunch more draft picks is what is best for us right now. And that's I'm not I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm I'm just saying that that would be surprising. And but but I think it is much more so than Justin Fields a legitimate question for the Cardinals as they approach the final four games of this year. Which by the way, they play the Niners. They're at the Bears. They at the Eagles and finish up with the Seahawks. Decent chance they're losing those final four games. Yeah, uh, they 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 won the one game I needed them to. All I wanted for that was them to win one more game over the rest of the year and give a little bit of breathing room for that Carolina pick. That's all I needed. Buddy, I I, I don't think you need to worry too much about that Carolina pick. I don't. I'm going to sweat it out until the end. Come on. (laughs) 
I have a question for you. Do yeah. you I was going to. I wanted to mention his name on this show, but I, I feel like this is already this already might be sewn up. He was at the top of your list in the preseason. Yep. Do you think Tua has just earned the contract? I mean, to me, it's about health more than than play, right? Like, I think the only thing that would stop them at this point, maybe I'm wrong. I believe the only thing that would stop them is Tua not getting injured. And I, I mean, it, it's sort of fallen into like a weird sort of space between the concerns we had for him after his first two years and the guy we saw last year where the guy we saw in 2022 was like oh my god Tui can be the MVP if he plays his way over a whole season and it's not that his numbers are bad because his numbers are really good but I think we're not talking about him like he's a top five quarterback and maybe he is maybe I'm not trying to have that debate but I do think it feels like you know, he's sort of fallen into a space where we all think he's good. We all think he is helping this team, but maybe he's at that Jared Goff Carson Wentz level as opposed to the like the Herbert Allen. Um, I, I'm I'm a transcendent player level, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can win with that guy, but we saw those contracts not work out. I, I don't know if the Dolphins are thinking this way. I do think. If Tua stays healthy and plays the way he has this year, he's going to get paid. But it does sort of feel like we're having a different sort of conversation about him than the one maybe I was expecting heading into the season. Yeah, it's not necessarily that different than what I thought, because Mm -hmm. even if he stayed healthy, it was always going to be a question of how much do you pay a quarterback that isn't the driver of your offensive success? Mm -hmm. I I think he has been good. I think he does everything that they ask of him. But I think if you're being honest with yourself, he is not the most important piece in why that team is great. So what do you pay a quarterback like that, who is clearly vital to your success, but isn't one of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks in the league? And if you go back to 2020, when those Carson Wentz and Jared Goff contracts were handed out, Mm -hmm. those guys became the highest paid players in the league. That they were just the next guys in line. That was the next contract to be handed oh, out. There, there's no is, discount happening here. And so that that's my question is, does he just get paid like Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow? If, gosh, the bear, I'm not going to say the Bears because I think you'll have a visceral reaction if I ask this. If if the, the Patriots get the second overall pick and the Dolphins say, hey, New England, we'll give you two for the second overall pick. The Patriots probably say no but do they yes. hang up and they're like how dare you i don't know i think they hang up very quickly hang up straight up hang up not no question i mean i'm not saying you're wrong i just for a guy who is completing 70 percent of his passes averaging nearly nine yards per attempt um probably going to be one of the five best quarterbacks in football this year at least by the numbers that does seem kind of shocking again not saying you're wrong just it's kind of crazy that we're at that point that's why these situations in particular are fascinating. What sure. happens with him and the contract that he gets and what that means to the Dolphins moving forward. And we're a couple of years away from this happening, but it's going to be a very similar discussion about what's happening with Brock Purdy. I don't, I don't need to open that Pandora's box right now, but that is going to come over the next 36 months. How, how many people who you've had on your podcast or been on their podcast are going to write the Brock Purdy contract article this off season. Cause I, I could think of like five people off the top of my head who, including me, who are going to have to write about that. I mean, you're, you're going to have to, it's going to have to be a discussion. Thankfully for you, at least it's two years away. I guess one year, he's going to have one more season and then we're going to have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, the thing for me is like like with Tua, he's on my list, but I I really think it's just injury. I I I do not believe the Dolphins are going to get through this year if Tua plays this way for the rest of the season. No matter what happens in the playoffs, if they win a playoff game or not, I I don't believe they are going to say we're good. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree. And I, but that that was my question: is do we think it's already sewn up outside of injury? And I think the answer to that might be yes. Yes. Um, a player who I don't think it's sewn up for, and I think could go in so many different directions over the rest of the year, is a guy who got traded at the deadline, and it's Chase Young. Where I I I can't think of a player. Maybe you can think of one where the combination of upside, of injury risk, of uh, path to free agency, of college success and pedigree, of having a great fit on a winning team. Like, there's just so many factors that go into Chase Young's next few games and, and most likely, of course, with the Niners postseason, where there's a scenario where he's kind of anonymous and he resigns with them for like $3 million for a year or goes somewhere else for like Arden Key money. And I think there's a scenario where he has like five sacks during a Super Bowl run and the Niners, um, he signs like a $20 million a year contract somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, he's he's on my list because I think that all of those things are in play. The Bears made the move they did for Montez Sweat, whatever you think of that move, because that position is dry in free agency. There's just so few opportunities to find game-changing players at that position in free agency because they never get there. They never get there. And I think Chase Young might be one of those exceptions where he's super, super talented and he's going to potentially get there because Washington was in a period of transition. He has his injury history and the Niners probably can't afford to pay him. So there is a chance we get to the end of the season. He's one of the most impactful pass rushers in the league on a per snap basis, like Mm -hmm. top 10 sort of numbers. And teams look around and say, I understand all of the risks, but you just don't have chances in the market to find players like this. He's also going to be 24 years old when yes. the free agent market opens, which you don't find chances to find 24-year-old defensive starters in free agency, let alone guys with Chase Young's upside. So that's such a, a fascinating one to me because it could go in so many different directions. Like 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 with someone like Tua, for example – like yes, he could get hurt, but like the the realistic scenario is he either plays his fifth year franchise tag or he gets a contract. And for someone like Matibike, like same thing, franchise tag or long term deal. For Staley, head coaching job or he's a coordinator somewhere. Like Chase Young, there's so many different possibilities. I agree, and I think that free agent pass rusher market period is going to be interesting to watch because most of them probably won't get there. But there are more of them set to hit free agency on December 5th than I can remember in recent memory. Chase Young, Brian Burns, Josh Allen, Daniil Hunter. I mean, there are a lot of guys that teams are going to have to make that decision about. Do we franchise tag them? Do we give them a long-term deal? Or are we going to let them ultimately hit the market? And Mm -hmm. I think there will be fewer than we want, as always happens in free agency. But Mm -hmm. it's just a different looking group than we're used to. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Hunter is the one where his contract, they, they cannot franchise him, so he has the ability to either get out there or sign a long-term deal. The Vikings have not seemingly been able to come to terms with him on a long-term deal. He's having a great year, so and he's a little older than you know your Chase Youngs of the world, but that's an opportunity for if a team wants to go out and sign that one dude, like you're going to see him in the market most likely. So uh, that's going to be a really fascinating one as well. 
Do you want to give me? I wonder if the Vikings are thinking about this a little bit differently now that it feels like the Cousins reunion is on the table. Yeah. Because if it wasn't and they knew that they were going to go with a stopgap quarterback and then a cheap option either next year or, or this year or next year in the draft, I think it becomes a little bit easier to pre-spend and use the leeway afforded to you by that rookie quarterback contract. But if you're going to have to pay Kirk Cousins, let's call it $40 million a year. Let's say he gets the Derek Carr contract this time around, which – I think he deserves. If Derek Carr got that contract, Kirk Cousins is certainly worth it. There's even coming off a major injury. Yeah, I was gonna say there's one one difference I can think of between those two guys. I I still feel like there would be a market for Kirk Cousins no this offseason. So I think that they will that market will be hungry enough that they won't be able to get him at a steep, steep discount. And do they feel that's their best pathway forward? And if it is, does it stop them from giving out the sorts of contracts they might have if they knew they were moving out to a rookie quarterback guy sooner rather than later? So you don't think Joshua Dobbs is going to be their quarterback of the future? I don't. I think it's a great story. I think that he has earned his role as a long-term backup in the NFL, which will include a life-changing amount of money that will change his existence and future generations for his family, and that's very awesome. But I do not think he'll be a long-term starter in the league, no. Okay. You want to give me one more to wrap up here? I've got a bunch more. Jared Goff I had, because I think that he's probably playing for his future in Detroit. I, you know, I, do, do they you, give him a do big you contract? Do you really think that he has a he, he runs the risk of not being there next year or in the next couple of years? No, not not that he runs the risk of not being there next year, but if he plays really well and they have success in the playoffs, does he get a sizable next deal? Like a long-term, we are committing to you, you are the guy of the future, here's $45 million a year sort of contract. I think he gets that either I, way. You think he gets that either way? Interesting. Yes. Okay. Okay, I, I, would, I don't think you're wrong about that because I do think they love him. How about this? I, I had these all grouped together. Okay. The not-so-obvious offensive head coach candidates for next offseason. Oh. Right? We know Ben Johnson's going to get a job. But I think some of these other guys, it's a weird pool of candidates this year. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many offensive guys that are like, oh, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be a head coaching candidate. Because a lot of the offensive coordinators that teams are going to be seeking out, we talked about the offensive first model earlier on the show, Mm -hmm. there aren't that many guys that are just no-brainers. It's a lot of guys that either aren't play callers for their teams, are super early in their career as play callers, or are kind of unconventional options. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Bobby Slowick in his first year, Brian Callahan, who's not a play caller, and obviously it's been a really weird season for the Bengals. Todd Monken, mm-hmm. guys like that. What is that group of guys going to look like and who distances themselves a little bit over the last month and maybe into the playoffs to give themselves an inside track at one of these jobs? It's a fascinating question to me, not just because I think my team is going to be in the market for one of them. Yeah. We talked about the Chargers. We didn't even talk about Kellen Moore, who, I mean, Kellen Moore could be the OC there again next year. He could be the head coach there next year. He could be a head coach somewhere else next year. He could be a positional coach somewhere next year. Like, like that's someone who has a lot of different scenarios based on what happens over the rest of 2023. Yeah, I do not think he's going to be the head coach there. I would be surprised if he was a head coach in this cycle based on the way that the season has gone there. That would surprise me. But again, it's not like there are a lot of no-brainer options. Right. You know, Bobby Sloak is in his first season as a play caller. He's 36 years old. It's so many different cycles, we would just say, ah, eh, he needs another year. He's not there yet. Now, with potentially eight to ten openings happening and not that many other guys that are just surefire candidates 
guys like him are going to get interest here in a way that they wouldn't have in previous years, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Oh, there's no to, to me, there's no question. If he goes into the offseason thinking, assuming nothing happens over the rest of the year, um, if he goes into the offseason thinking, I'm going to take the best head coaching opening that is offered to me, he's going to be a head coach. And like you said, that's because there are not many other offensive minded options. And I mean, if you if you're if you're Carolina, not that Bobby Sloak would necessarily want the Carolina job, but like, don't you see what they've done in Houston and just desperately throw money at him to go coach Bryce Young? Potentially, yes. And I think that's, again, it would be surprising in other seasons, but it's just not surprising now because that's the state of things. I'm fascinated about which guys teams are going to want to talk to. Like, does Michael Fleur get sniffed as, for a head coach mm-hmm. this offseason, despite what happened with the Jets because of how good the Rams have been? Like, We're going to have some guys that when all the interviews get announced and we think, oh, yeah, this team is interested in this guy, I think there are going to be some surprising names that come up as part of that process. Has to be. There have to be. And I think there's going to be an opportunity for guys who are not necessarily in great offenses at the moment, who have good resumes, but are not necessarily coaching the best football teams, getting opportunities for head coaching jobs. Someone who comes to mind for me, um, Mike McCarthy where Mike McCarthy was a long time. Was he the quarterback's coach? He was the OC for the Saints. For the Niners. And then in 05, he goes to the Niners. They're 4-12 and 12 that year. and They had the worst offense in the league. They had the worst offense in the league. Alex Smith threw one touchdown against 11 picks in his first year. And Mike McCarthy got a head coaching job. And, of course, turned out to be a pretty good head coach. But, like, there's the opportunity for something like that where a guy who we're not seeing as a hot candidate because his team kind of stinks, but... He might like someone like Mike Kafka, for example, where like I don't think Mike Kafka's had an awesome year, but Mike Kafka was a a buzz candidate last year. You might have like a post hype candidate get interviews and possibly even get an opportunity because there's just not many, you know, high end, exciting, hot offensive coaches available. The Eagles are going to be another interesting one. It's going to remind me of last year when all the Eagles fans wanted Jonathan Gannon fired and then he got a head coaching job. So many Eagles fans have been frustrated with what Brian Johnson has done. He's absolutely going to get head coaching interviews this offseason and there are a couple others that i think even if they're not play callers like frank smith is going to get opportunities this offseason he's Mm -hmm. the dolphins offensive coordinator so what that pool looks like and why it looks like that is going to be worth monitoring for sure um we could do this i would say six hours we could do this show and just go through 25 other people because people have popped up in my brain as we've been having this conversation but we have to stop at some point i'm going to stop it here maze where can people check out your NFL coverage. The Athletic Football Show, wherever you get your podcasts. We do it you do like 18, six times a week. 18 shows a week, if I'm not mistaken. We have six shows a week. There are different flavors of shows, different hosts. I am on the feed three times a week. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, if you want to check that out, where we do some of our live streams after games. We have some YouTube-specific content. So the Athletic Football Show YouTube channel is a place where you can subscribe. But wherever you get your podcasts, Athletic Football Show, we would love it if you guys would give it a listen. You know, it's always a blast having you on. I know I sighed because I know I'm going to have to get 25 more guests before I can have you on again. But, you know, I always appreciate it. I'll do it whenever you want me to. Don't even worry about that. (laughs) Again, you have a lot of shows to do each week. You are a busy Uh, man. It's fine. All right. Thanks so much to my old pal, Robert Mays. uh, Long time 
podcast partner, of course. Love doing shows with Maze. Hope you guys enjoyed us going through the league and some of these candidates for teams and players who have so much writing on the rest of the NFL season. We have more audio coming next week on the Bill Barnwell Show. Again, two shows through the rest of the regular season each week. A Tuesday show, Tuesday morning, recapping Wednesday Night Football and the breaking news from Monday. And then this Thursday morning show, more big picture looking at the NFL. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's show with Danny Kelly. Hope you enjoyed this show with Robert Mays. And more audio coming next week.